Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A Davies. You're better than that on Talk Sport. Welcome to the Fight Night podcast. I'm Adam Catterall. Pleasure once again to be in your company. However, if it's the first time that we have met and conversed in this way, then please hit subscribe on iTunes. If you're looking for Fight Night, and you can also get an Android feed if needed via the Talk Sports website. Every single week, we take all the interviews that we do in our live show on a Saturday evening and stick them in one big pot because we don't want you to miss out on any of the fight sports content that we bring on a week by week basis here on Talk Sport. And um, we're going to start by going retro. That's right, a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Every single week, uh, we catch up with a British legend, somebody who has achieved crazy heights in the game, hung up the gloves. And fancy's coming on for half an hour and having a bit of a chinwag about those dizzy times. This week it was dazzling Darren Barker, and we started the conversation back in 2002. Dazzling Darren Barker. What a courageous show by Barker! Now. Oh, good right hand again from Barker. You say he's gone right hand happy, but goodness me, it has been a real. That was an epic comeback so far by Parker. It looked like that was all she wrote. Absolutely brilliant. I can't wait to see the replays. He's back with a left hand and puts Samuels away. Banding ovation in Atlantic City. And new RBF middleweight champion of the world, Anthony Darren Parker. Here he is, Mr. Barker. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Hello, lads. How are you? Yeah, we're good. Very good. We're good. Very good. Yeah. Enjoying a little bit of sunshine. Um, before we obviously get on with looking back at this fantastic career, how was the birthday lockdown? Was it okay? Yeah, it weren't bad, mate. Um, there was there was a few beers consumed. Um, yeah, good man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah look, uh, there was a Zoom. Uh, there was a Zoom call, so I'd see a few of my mates. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. I'm kind of getting used to this lockdown a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I think we all are. I think we all are. Uh, now then, I, w- I want you to cast your mind back. What were you doing this week 
18 years ago. Can you remember? 18 years ago? 18 yeah, years I was ago. there as well, Darren. I was this, there as well. This exact oh, right, week. That, that's, that's the Commonwealth Games then. There you go. Now that's yes. where we're starting, my friend. That's where we're starting. Gold medal oh, at Light Welterweight in the Commonwealth Games. Talk us through that experience because I remember being around the city and it was just alive, absolutely alive with athletes from all over the world. It was a fantastic time to be, to be a participant and to be winning gold at that time must have been really mm. special. What, one of my proudest moments. Um, it, it was it was amazing. It really was. I mean, if I go back probably just a few months before that, I got picked for my first England international. I got to the semi-finals of the ABAs and I lost on a countback. And off the back of that, I got selected to fight for England uh, in a tough multi-nations in, in Hungary. Mm. And uh, I, I had three fights and I won gold there. So off the back of that, I got selected for the Commonwealth Games. And I, I was kind of the the wild card, I guess. You know, uh, it, you know they weren't too sure of me. I was sort of untested. Though I'd had, I'd had the three fights and I'd won gold in Hungary, I was still a bit of an unknown quantity. I was only 19. Yeah. Um, I think I tw- turned 20 during the games or something, or just before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I've been selected. I was 19. And um, obviously Lenny Dawes had won the... who went on to have a great career. Um as a professional like um, British champion, etc., he won the ABA. So it was a toss-up between me and him, who got selected for the the Commonwealth Games. And thankfully, I, I got the nod. And it's a funny thing. I remember um, there was a press day. You guys might have been there. It was at a gym. It was the day before the game started. And um, I remember every single one of the boxers getting pulled out to do an interview um, <laughs> from various newspapers, radio, or whatever. And, I was the only one left on the bench. It was like getting picked, uh, you know, at school, not getting picked for a football <laughs> team, you know, last get picked. I didn't get picked. No one picked me for an interview. And I remember thinking, blimey, no one, they really don't know who I am. You know, we had David A., Danny Appy, Courtney Fryer, some real big names in in, in the team at the time. And um, yeah. uh, they didn't they didn't have a clue I was. But I think that, that gave me the bit between my teeth. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to show this lot. And, uh, yeah, I went on and, and won gold, which is, you know, like I say, one of my proudest moments. You you remained an amateur for a couple of years after that as well. And then yeah. 2004, you made that decision uh, to turn it over. Talk to me about that difference from being an amateur that is a gold medalist at the Commonwealth Games to starting out earning a living from this sport. Yeah, do you know what? It was, uh, it was always a dream of mine. You know, um, my dad was a boxer. I never turned professional, won the ABA, so... Uh, I, you know, I always wanted to, to make my dad proud, um, and I, I always thought the way to do that was boxing, but it obviously wasn't. And a dream of mine was to, to one day turn pro, you know. Um, but it was it was kind of alien to us. Where, like I just said, my dad didn't didn't turn pro. We we didn't really know how the business worked. And um, uh, luckily for me, when I was at Repton, uh, the famous Repton, you know, who I owe a lot yeah. to, uh, just before I turn professional I met uh, a guy called Tony Sims who you probably all know he was my trainer for mm-hmm. for just over well I was pro for 10 years he trained me for a year before I turned pro so I, I kind of you know he, he always told me um, certain things about the business who to, who to watch out for and who to blah 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 and you know he, I just yeah. kind of felt like um, I had someone looking after me and my dad met uh, my family met Tony and they knew I was 
going to be well looked after and and that was it you know we 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 turned over and that's when the madness begun. I do what I always remember Tony saying to me when um, I think you know I, I hadn't even had the pro fight. And he goes, Dad. He goes, This is what we're going to do. We're going to we'll go Southern area. We'll go Commonwealth, British, yes. European, and world title. Old school. And I remember, mm. I, I remember sat down with him. I started laughing. I went, Tony, do you honestly think? Do you honestly think I can do that? And he went, He goes, I promise you. He goes, I've seen a lot of fighters uh, come and go. He goes. If you really believe it and you give it everything, he goes, I've no doubt you can do it. Wow. Um, so Tony from, and I, and I know he's, he's straight talking, Tony. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have given me that. Um, he wouldn't have said that if he didn't believe it. Uh, and, and, you know, he had a way of installing confidence into me, Tony. And yeah, that was the start of the journey. The, 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 the thing is, Darren, and I've had many brilliant nights with you and you, I, I will always say this about you. Um, and will lead to this climax of, of your world title that it was one of the most popular moments that I've experienced in my career with a massive outpouring in British boxing yeah. and, and sometimes world boxing because you are a very, very popular person. One of the oh, nicest men ever to step <laughs> into a ring. No, and you, we're good friends, um, you know, uh, make no bones about that. But I was just meant, just as you mentioned there, that kind of route in your first 23 fights... You fought some very decent fighters. You you did the proper old school way. People like Paul Samuels, very decent boxer, mm. in your fourteenth fight, you knocked him out in the first round. You won the British uh, Southern Area middleweight title. Then you went up to Commonwealth against Ben Crampton, the Aussie. You retained it against Steve Bendel. Um, carried on with the Commonwealth. Won the British against Danny Butler. You've done did the your European. Yeah, yeah, well, 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 remember, I was around covering. I mean, in those, the weird thing is, right, a lot of those were at the York Hall, um, Brentwood's Leisure Centre. In those days, you'd have been fighting at the O2 Arena these days with 20,000 mm. people for those fights. And the kind of, the whole spectrum of what a boxer goes through now, you might have been matched a lot earlier in a world title. But when you look back on it, you're the last generation of doing the old school way. The yeah. very last generation who have done it that way, and it must be very rewarding to look back on that. Absolutely, I, I'm. You know, I'm. I try not to get too, you know, proud of myself. Um, I was just so fortunate to be doing something I loved, and um, and to to succeed and achieve what I did. You know, I, like I can't help but, you know, beam from ear to ear because you know I just. Like I said earlier, I, w I was my own biggest critic. I, you know, I just strived for perfection. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't. But I was no, by no stretch of the imagination, the, the greatest fighter out there. But you know, I was. I, was, I drove myself mad because I was just. It, I, I, I struggled to put this into words, but I don't. I don't think anybody could love boxing more than me. Like honestly, <laughs> it it could be matched. Don't get me wrong, but it can't be beaten. Like. Boxing is my life. It's it, it like every, yeah. it's everything. It was everything to me. Like it, I cannot tell you how much I love this sport and how how dedicated I was to it. You know, my 18th birthday, my 21st birthday, I was in training camps for England, but I, I didn't want to be out with my mates. I wanted to be doing what I was doing. So you know, to to achieve what I did, you know, I remember Spencer Oliver winning the Southern Area title against Patrick Mullins and. Holding, I was there in mm. attendance. I remember going to the changing room after because I'd known Spencer for years and holding his Southern Area belt. I remember thinking, God, I wouldn't mind winning that one day. So even the Southern Area was such an important title for me. 
And then, you know, all of them domestic titles you've just reeled off there. Like, just, like, I, I can't believe it. Uh, like, I, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I am I am very proud. I am very proud. And I'm proud of, um, you know, Tony. But you incrementally, me. Darren, but you incrementally grew in confidence. It was a very balanced graph of growing, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, do you know what? I think I had quite um, a mature approach to to the boxing, if I'm honest. But like, I kind of set my goals, and and I I didn't look beyond the one that was in front of me. So you know, each step on the ladder, you know, it was the Commonwealth. If it was the Commonwealth, the British, you know, let's win that first, and then we'll look at the next one. Don't get me wrong; you might have half an eye on on the next fight or the next achievement, but still, it was important to me to to just tick those boxes and. Um, yeah, all of those titles mean meant and mean an awful lot to me. Oh, it's with the right hand there, and I think he touched down, but then he comes back with a left hand and puts Samuels away. Oh, good right hand. Terrific right hand. That's been a coming. And Darren Barker lands an absolute peach. It was the one-two again, and the right hand which put McDermott on his back. What an effort from Darren Barker. He's just shown the heart of a lion tonight, Darren Barker. Um, we are going to talk, obviously, your two trips to Atlantic City, one against Sergio and one against uh, uh, Mr Gill, my friend. Um, but first, if, if I may, because this is obviously a, a major part of your life and it's <coughs> most certainly uh, shaped who you are and your, and your attitude now, um, if I... If, I just want to touch upon, obviously, what happened to your brother because mm. you, you you faced tragedy during all this. So during, mm. obviously, becoming European champion and British champion and all that, and before we got onto those world title efforts, your your brother sadly passed away in a, in a fatal car crash. Yeah. Um, just just rubbish, you know. It's just, uh, you know, we all miss him so much. Uh, you know, he was, he was just, just the top, top man. You know, and um, anyone who knows uh, me and knows my family knows how close we are. So it was just, it was devastating. Uh, we think about him every single day. We talk about him every single day. Um, uh, you know, just, just absolutely devastating. And um, boxing's such a lonely sport. It really is. And you know, friends or family that um, take part in boxing or you know, yeah, compete uh, and understand the nature of the game uh, are valuable to, to a fighter. He was very valuable to me. We used to drive up, get the train to the Repsom every single day and then once we started driving, we'd drive together and we would just talk about boxing all the time. So, and another thing, that I, I'm not just saying this now because he's not with us and it's me and I'm obviously biased and talking about my brother. He was exceptional. Like I cannot, he done things in the gym. I would watch him spar, and I would, I would be laughing just because I couldn't <laughs> believe what I was witnessing. It was just magic, pure magic. You know, in in all fairness, my my, my brother picked up his football, and and I'm I've no doubt he could have been a professional footballer. Like he, he was just a, a, a jock, you know, and naturally just yeah. meant to play sport. And uh, boxing was exactly the same. He was just so good. Um, obviously, when he passed away, it was just I didn't even think about boxing anymore. It was just it was it was you know if I'm deadly honest, is how we're gonna how we're gonna continue and how we're gonna all yeah. uh, you know it, it just I, it was 
it was terrible. Um, but as as the time went on, it was it was um, there was a void missing. There was something there was something missing, and you know I'd already been back to the gym once, and I remember breaking down in, into tears when I was on the pads with Tony, and uh, Tony just said, "Look, you can't be doing this right now," and um, I went away again, and then uh, this void got got bigger and, and greater and got back in the gym and I thought to myself look if I can't do it with my brother Gary I, I'm going to do it for him and yeah. I just just as I got in there and I started fighting again I, I did think to myself you know I'm 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 going to be a machine here I'm going to be nearly unbeatable because you know the the, the memory and, and the of my brother and doing it for him and having that extra incentive a huge incentive Though at times it did feel like a burden that I put on myself, it wasn't from anybody else. At times when I was struggling through injuries and that, I just he was that he was that image that I see in the sixth round when I was on the floor. You know, he was he was when it got tough, when I didn't want to do one more hill sprint, when I when I didn't want to have a hip operation, when I didn't want to do another length of the pool, when I didn't want to have to do another round of sparring with Cole Frotch. You know, he was that person that you know, and his memory that just kept me there and. You know, just just quickly as I'm on this little tangent now, you know, I, I just I, I thank him for pushing me and helping me because though it's only a small part of history, the Barker name, you know, though I was the one that done it, our name was, was sort of in some history books, you know, and, uh, yeah. and I'm glad that I've done it for my family who I love so much, you know, um, yeah. You did him proud. Um, you did him proud. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know we've spoken at very deep length about this in the past, Darren. And and it's a very moving and and very emotional thing. And I can even hear it in your voice tonight. It's always difficult, even though it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. for you to remember him yeah. and talk about him. That let me tell the listeners because that a lot of people listening. You know, it's it's seven years ago that you were knocked down in that fight in Atlantic City against Daniel Giel. You'd tried um, a couple of years before against the number one or two pound for pound in the yeah. world, because I covered that fight against Sergio Martinez on a brilliant night for you against one of the most dangerous punchers in the world. He was the Gennady Golovkin of his time, Sergio Martinez. Um, he was a brilliant cyclist, tennis player, um, and you took him to the wire that night as well. When you didn't win the world title in that fight in Atlantic City previously. Can you just describe the image you had of Gary and the thoughts of your father as well on that night against Daniel Giel for the for the IBF middleweight title? Can you take us through it again? Just through what, what happened? Fight itself? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, it was... I... I almost retired after the Martinez fight. I think at some point I probably did say I'm never going to fight again. Uh, I had another hip operation. Uh, I was out of the ring for 14 months and uh, I just thought... Uh, and there was another... I, I had to pull out of another fight against Simeone Rotolo, who I did end up fighting after. Because uh, I, I... 2013, yeah. Yeah, yeah I nearly yeah. ruptured my bicep. Uh, so I just thought, look, my body can't hold up to this anymore. Um, I'm just going to have to knock it on the head. But again, this void kicked in and um, the memory of my brother and um, that all become apparent again. And I just thought, look, come on, let's give this one more crack. And I think I think it was uh, obvious 
when I fought Kerry Hope and Rotolo, how aggressive I was, and even the fight against Gill, because I knew it was the, my last my last chance. If I was to lose again, that was it. You know, I couldn't rebuild. I couldn't go through it again. Um, so I just had a new approach, and going into the Gill fight, I remember getting the, the, the phone call from Eddie saying, look, we've got the fight, you've done it, that's it. And I was, I was, that was it. I was, a, I was a man on a mission, trained like an absolute lunatic. Um, <laughs> put my body to to the limits because it was already broken anyway, and um, just trained like a like a madman. And it, there, there was no stopping me. I just, I was, I knew I was in for a hard night. And I, I know, uh, I've known Gil. He was, he won the Commonwealth Games in 2002 at World Weight. I won him at like, World Weight. We both went to the World Championships in Bangkok in Thailand 2003. Um, I've known him. You know, I've, I know exactly who, who he is and what he's about. But in that first round, he was so awkward. He, he, we, our game plan was to be aggressive, hold the centre of the ring, push him back, but be smart. Don't be silly. Uh, move our heads. Don't get caught with anything. And I remember just finding him very awkward. I couldn't, you just couldn't uh, gauge how awkward he was from watching him on, on videos and I kind of got back after the first round. I said to Tony, look, I'm happy to get on his chest here. Take, nullify that uh, mm. sort of knack he's got to get out of range and just try and outwork him because I knew I was extremely fit. I knew I was tough enough. Um, so I thought, yeah, let's have it. <laughs> Darren, in that fight, in that fight, so when you went down in the sixth round, because uh, it moves me every time I hear it or write about it or, or read about it even, that... When you were down in that sixth round, you saw your brother again. You heard him, didn't you? He was there with you yeah. that night. Yeah, look, I don't, uh, I, I don't need to glamorise uh, the story. I've, I've got no intentions of doing that, but I'm just telling you what what happened. You know, I see, you know, images and memories of my brother, and it was almost like him saying, "Get up." You know, I'm not sure I heard those exact words, but it was a powerful memory of him saying yeah. you're nearly there you you know you're nearly there get up it's only a body shot get up you know and <laughs> yeah. seeing my daughter yeah. i only had one kid there i've got um i've got three kids now one on the way actually and that's my lot but anyway congratulations <laughs> congratulations <laughs> again <laughs> wonderful oh, lockdown yeah. man lockdown's got you going oh <laughs> uh, yeah well look me and them we make a five side football team so <laughs> but anyway you know i just thought this is it this is it I've got, I've got to get up, and you know, I see the memory. Uh, I see the memory of my brother. I see, you know, my dad. My, you know, who's, who's been my hero. Um, you know, my whole family. My mum, I love her, uh, and and um, and and you know, I got up. I was in agony, <laughs> but I got up, and uh, it was just to be honest. At nine, you got up at nine, didn't you? That's the nine. Point. You yeah, got up at nine. It, it's very yeah, funny, actually. Um, I will quickly tell a story. Eddie Cotton, uh, God rest his soul, who sadly passed away yes. of uh, the, this this horrible virus that we're all going through at the minute. Um, yes. Uh, he, yeah, he actually refereed the Martinez fight, so he gave me a combined count of ni- uh, nineteen and a half seconds. <laughs> 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 Uh, but anyway, yeah, got up in nine and a half seconds. But the hardest part of that was weathering the storm. You know, it's bad enough being under under sort of an assault when you can breathe and you're good. But I, I was winded and you got to kind of, you know, weather the storm. And I did. And yeah, sort of the rest is history. When they read your name out, oh. what's that feeling like? When they read your name out and the new and they announce your name, man, that must that must be unbelievable. Yeah, I kind of even now it's like it puts the lump in my throat. I just 
Like, if you can see me now, I'm rubbing my face. But I just, I can't believe it. You know, I can't believe what I was, what, you know, that I was able to do it. It was my wildest dream. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a sad part to it as well. You know, when I fall on the floor, I'm crying. I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm over the moon. Yeah, I'm yeah. buzzing. But it was a, there was a moment there where I had achieved what I'd set out to do. And that was the, the latter part of my career was, you know, I wanted, I desperately wanted to win this world title for my brother. Uh, so it, it was almost, in some respects, letting go of that um, yeah. addiction, letting go of that 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 purpose, that goal. Not letting go of my brother because he's always no. in my thoughts every single that day. Pain. But letting yeah, that go pain of and that, that burden. Yeah, and it was just like it was, you know, just just incredible. And it was um, just just you know, people said before the best way I can describe it is you know, boxing. I completed it. Yeah, can exactly I do it again? Like... Barbara Perez, 111, 116. Alan Rubenstein, 114, 113. Carlos Ortiz Jr., 113, 114. For the new IBF middleweight champion of the world, dazzling Darren Barker. I remember it so well. And, and the uproar at the time, as I was alluding to earlier, Eddie Hearn going bonkers. I've never um, seen Eddie like that ever. All of us ever. going bonkers. Was, I mean, was that wild. was the first madness we saw from Eddie, wasn't it, in the ring? It was unbelievable. unbelievable. Do you know what? Though? I've heard Eddie talk about it before, and we've spoke about it loads. You know, it was, it, you know, they, they were a great organisation. They, they they know the business inside out. But you know, Eddie was new to the game, and it was all, sort of like us versus the world. You know, it was us yeah. little, this, you know, little team, little outfit from Essex, London, and you know, going over <laughs> to Atlantic City and taking on the world. You know, we were just, you know, very close. And, you know, Eddie gets sick, but he's um, he's a top man. He, you know, he, he cares for his fighters. And, um, you know, it was it was great scenes. It really was. We had a good night. Uh, my granddad, who, who's the, the, he's the governor, he's the governor of the, the Barker families. He's the, he's the main man. Uh, as my nanny is, I can't, like, I'm trying to pick them all, like mention them all, because I can't tell you how much my family means to me. But he um, he kind of had a go at us all because uh, we didn't stop and have a drink. I was exhausted, and he's like, "What are you doing? You want a world title? What's happening here? What are you doing? What are you out of bed for?" Um, but yeah, it was incredible, and like I say, I still smile now because I can't believe that I've done it. No, absolutely sensational. Listen, now then, now that it's all done, now that you're retired, now that you're obviously building your five-a-side football team and this business <laughs> empire of gyms around uh, around London. You've had a brief flirtation with, with training, with Dave Allen and what have you. I know that you're not yeah. together anymore, but what's the plan, man? Are, are, are you going to go down that route or is it all about the business now nah. and growing the not, gyms? Not, not, not now, mate, if I'm honest. Um, I'll never say never. Like I say, I love the sport so much, but, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to be rubbing shoulders with you two and, and you know, I see you at all the shows. I'm doing the bits with Matchroom. Uh, with yeah. the shows they do and a little bit with Sky now and again. And I kind of, whilst th this side of boxing is go is still in my life, I don't feel I need to, to dip my toes back in that. You know, you, you've got to be extremely disciplined with uh, training. Um, you know, it's hard enough for one fighter, but let alone a, a camper fighters. And I just, yeah. I, I'm, I, I enjoy what I'm doing now. I love being at all the shows and talking boxing. I, like, it's just... Like I say, it's my life. I love it so much, and um, that's enough for me right now. You know, there's there's always things going on. You know, we're always um, thinking of new ideas and things to do. But generally, um, I, I could not be in a better place right now. You know, my life is really good. Uh, I've got you know a beautiful wife. I've got beautiful kids. I've got a beautiful family, and 
You know, everything everything is exactly how I want to be. You know, I pinch myself every day. I'm, I'm very lucky. <laughs> it's good to hear. Man. Finally, um, to hear. yeah, fu- fu- yeah, it is. It's beautiful to hear. Um, the final thing. I mean, we always joke about this, and it wasn't a great night for you in the last fight. I don't want to end on a on a sour note at all, but I do remember uh, that your body wasn't there anymore at the end, wasn't it? Because you'd had, you know, I remember yeah. you saying to me. Before you had your hips replaced, you, you you were told that you you had you had the hips of a seventy year old before you fought Felix Sturm. You know, yeah, I've been generous then as well. <laughs> but that's the but wear not... and tear over all that time. Yeah, isn't well, it, look, you, know? you know what? Like like I've, I've touched on uh, you know throughout this interview. You know, my body was breaking down uh, way way before then, and you know, rightly so. People have, you know, you know, people have paid tickets and etc. So you, you, you're open to a criticism and a bit of stick, and you know, I understand that. But I, though I, I was feeling pain going into the Stern fight. I was feeling pain going into the Gill fight. I was feeling pain going into yeah. the Martinez fight. It was, you, you know, it was just the, it's the nature of the business. You know, you've, you've been a pro for ten years or been boxing twenty three years. You're telling me you're not going to have injuries, and it was unfortunate. Mm. I was just gutted because I would have loved to have been able to defend a, a world title, but the body just completely went. My hip popped out, and it was just. I watched it back probably for the first time, probably three years ago. So about four years after it happened. And do you know what? I was proud of myself because I know how much pain I was in. And I was still there. I got up and I was still throwing shots when Tony threw the towel in. I was just thought, do you know what? I, I kind of give myself a pat on the back because though I lost it, I, I know how tough this game is and how hard it is and, and how much, you know, like I say again, how much pain I was in. And I was still there. I still got up. And I still carried on. And, you know, but it is what it is. It's sport. You can't get carried away with these things sometimes. You have to put things in perspective. It is only a sport that means everything to me it's only a sport and you win some you lose some right after that trip down memory lane it's time to get stuck into the modern day Dillian White has been in the news quite a lot recently talking about maybe fighting in Eddie Hearn's back garden and of course maybe crossing over to the world of MMA he's currently out in Portugal training for either one of those let's catch up with him and find out where his head's at You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. It's the best walkout music. It's the best walkout music. You get a bit of ACDC in there. It's just a shame that we didn't have a bit of Jaws beforehand, just to really ham it up, just to introduce uh, our next guest. Uh, you're listening to Adam Catterall and Gareth Day-Davis. And now, time to get over to Portugal for the body snatcher himself, Mr. Dillian White. How are you, sir? You good? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Been a minute since we caught up. That's it, man. Yeah, we're all good. We're, yeah, all, we're all good here. Um, now, if there's... Is, I don't know about you, Gareth. Is Gareth, but if, is Gareth still throwing them pointless karate kicks he does? <laughs> what do you mean, these pointless karate kicks? Are you still throwing challenge... I, I, listen, I will never throw a challenge to you. You're too big for me. You're in the wrong weight division, right? That's um, what she said. But the, 
That's what she said. Yeah, exactly. Easier, easier. Yeah. But 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 you are calling out everyone at the moment. You are hungry for a fight, aren't you? I just want to fight the best sleeper guy. If you know me, you you, you know me well enough. I just want to fight. Listen, win, lose, or draw. I just want to fight the best people. I don't want to do it in my career. Sit back and say, you know what? I took on challenge no one else wanted to. I fought the best people. I fought people that no one else wanted to. I fought the monster that everyone else was scared of, you know. And that's what I look for in 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 the sport, you know. And I'm not scared to fight any style as well. But what are you serious? Obviously, it's a shame that the the E E press conference, the press conference online was was uh, was cancelled with Francis and Ganu um, uh, tonight because well, that, that would have been a lot of fun. That's the new Francis. Um, that's the new Francis. We we done the the press conference. It was fine. Everything was good. And then I heard that Francis's manager called up and said, "Oh no, we don't want to put it out because he didn't come across very well in it, and etc. Cetera, etc." Cetera. So you know, because obviously you know I done my usual stick at him a little bit, and you know we just didn't. They didn't fancy putting it out. Did you did you take him over? Did you take him over in the chat? No. Nah. You know, obviously, the guy is quite a boring guy. You know, obviously, he's a good athlete, strong guy, top fighter, but he's quite, from a speaking person, from a speaking wise or whatever, he's quite boring. So, you know, he, to the point where he call a cage and octagon, and I had to say to him, mate, you do know the cage and the octagon is the same thing, you know, it, right? And he went, oh, um, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. It's true, it's true, it's true. I meant a ring. You know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> well, you know that obviously yesterday Dana White, the president of the UFC, kind of stepped across it at, at his press mm-hmm. conference in Vegas, saying, "No, we're not going to let Nganu go that direction." Obviously, you were talking about doing an MMA fight and a boxing fight. Um, obviously, we know yeah. that you've got the skills in a cage because you've done it before. It's, it's, it was a career you had before you came into boxing, and yeah. no one's done that yet—a crossover with two fights, have they? With with both. Yeah. So maybe that's something for down the line. You know, I'm a fair guy. I don't want to take all the fat. So I said, we do a boxing fight and an MMA fight. So it's fair, you know. And Dana get, we, obviously, we the house one. We host the boxing fight. Dana can host the MMA fight, you know. And then it's equal opportunity for both of us. Obviously, you know, Francis believe he's got the edge in MMA, and I know I've got the edge in boxing. So, so I was mm. willing to step into his territory as well as he stepped into my territory. Unlike a lot of these other guys, that that you know, I, listen, a lot of people is just. Scared. I'm just not scared, man. You know, I don't care. I, I, I'm ready anytime, anyway. Simple as a lot of guys. These guys say they'll do this and say they'll do that, but they just want it to be in their terms and in favor to them. No, I, I, if I'm going to have a fight like that, I want to give the guy a fair shot as well. I want to give him a, a chance at something that he can win. You know what I mean? I want to beat him at his mm. own game as well. Mm. You know, I don't mm. just, just control him at my game and be like, oh, yeah, I knocked out Francis. No, I want to be a knockout Francis in boxing and I gave him a chance to. To, to to have a shot in in, in MMA and, and beat him in both, and no one else in history has done that. So that's what I'm about. You know, I always mm. want to make history, man. Where's um Where's all the conversations, um, with the Povetkin fight at, at this moment, Dillian? Oh, oh, how far down the line is it? The fight's on. As far as I know, the fight's on. The fight's on. Obviously, we're training. I'm training for the fight. That's why I got off um out to Portugal so I could train in private facilities by myself and my team. Fights on. I got out. I'm training. You know, the fight's on. I think the dates have just been moved around a little bit. You know, obviously, with what's going on and stuff, I think 
you know, dates have been moved around a little bit. It wasn't May when it was supposed to be. But we're yeah. just waiting now. Obviously, I think Sky is waiting for other sports to return and other things to happen just before they they commit to everything. But, but it should be, I think by by next week, there should be a definite um, fight date being, being announced. And I know it'll be in a, in a few weeks' time as well. It's not like it could be in a few months. It'll definitely be in a few weeks' time. Now, if there's a man that he's made for fighting in Eddie Hearn's back garden, it's you in it. That that is that's right up your street, surely. Yeah, you know I me. Mean? I'm a fighter by nature and by straight. And I, and I fight to fight. I've had plenty of um, of fights. You know what I mean? I, I fight to fight. Wherever you know, I, like I said, people listen. I fought in front of thousands. I fought in front of hundreds. I fought in front of uh, almost um a hundred thousand. So for me. You don't matter where the fight is, and I still perform. You know, obviously, I fought Derek Cesar in Manchester Arena in front of, I can't remember how much thousand people. And then my next fight after that was, my next fight after that was, um, was in um, America in Omaha against, in front of a thousand people because that was the first fight on. So to me, it doesn't matter where the fight is, who is there, what's going on. I have my opponents there. And I'm and I'm and I show up and I'm fit and ready. Then I'll I'll, I'll fight wherever. Mm. You know, um, there was a time when I, I had a lot of street fights as well <laughs> by myself. You know, <laughs> but that's, this is this is a different time. You know. <laughs> you say that that fight in um again in America against Malcolm Tan, third round knockout. The the the, the we were talking in the first segment tonight, Dillian, about um. Uh, Robert Smith not wanting the Secretary of the Boxing Border Control not wanting to give people permission to spar in the UK till mid-June two things really as you're over there where there are no restrictions in Portugal are you able to spar and secondly um, have you had a Covid test to know you know yourself whether you're Covid free yeah yeah you know um, even today I had a border test and that was the first thing they did when they came in, the guy pointed the temperature gun at me and did a few of the tests before they did the the tests. You know, um, out of all the tests this morning, yeah. so mm. you know they they have to go through all the procedures to make sure you're safe and healthy and stuff like that before they do the test. Because if you got symptoms, then they wouldn't do the tests or whatever. So I had that done today, and we've had tests done before. And there is rules Good. and restrictions here. There's rules and restrictions mm-hmm. here in Portugal as well. You know, obviously every new guy I bring in they have to quarantine for a bit. Obviously, the quarantine is now yeah. lifted, but you know. So, and then, it, um, two of my, my my team here are medical professionals. Obviously, you know, um, Simon Evans and Michael for the medical people, and they make sure everyone is safe and everyone's sound. You know, and um, we've came we came together, and we, we've um isolated together and stayed together. So, the tri- so it's been that different for us. And uh, anyone new come in after obviously be tested and stuff and. Right now, I'm not heavy sparring at the minute. I'm not sparring with my super with my middleweight here, Jen Hardin and and um, Oliver Edwards and those guys. And there's another guy here, mm. um, Jason, that I'm sparring with. Just some speed sparring and stuff like that. The heavy guys ain't coming in yet because we're waiting for things to cool down a bit and see what's happening. See how long people need to quarantine and stuff before we start bringing people here. And there's no point bringing people in for heavy sparring. We'd, we'd not have, uh, 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 we've got a spectrum of when the fight is going to be, but we're still waiting mm-hmm. for, okay, this is the exact day, you know, so we're just waiting. Once Sky has cleared up, then, you know, everything will be full steam ahead. We'll make sure people get 
COVID tests and et cetera, et cetera, before, you know. Yeah. Uh, Before you come home to quarantine, because you're going to have to quarantine as well when you come back, aren't you? You know, and you've got kids and all those kind of things. You've got to be safe, haven't you? You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, listen, it's a serious thing that's going on at the minute. So everyone has to be safe. And, you know, obviously, you know, my mum's a nurse. So it'd be very irresponsible of me to to come back and um, and not do things properly. You know what I mean? So obviously I know about safety and and health risks and stuff because my mum obviously preaches, preaches. That was home as well, and make sure you know, you know. So, yeah. so I'll do all the right things when I come back. You know. No, absolutely, uh, Dillian. On the show over the last couple of weeks, we've been speaking quite a lot about Mike Tyson and uh, maybe him coming back at some point uh, to fight. And at the start of the show, myself and Gareth were just speaking about Maurizio Sullivan saying that if Tyson wants to come back, he might uh, even sanction a fight with Tyson Fury. WBC sanctioning that. What do you think of it? That is silly. If if, if they can't sanction yeah. a fight with me for three years why the hell are they going to sanction a fight with a 53 year old man and a 30 year old man it makes no sense you know that's silly that is silly that is that is listen memory is cool but that is a very silly thing to say you know you should be encouraging some, what if he comes back and, and dies in the ring you know then what's going to happen then um, then people we have already got enough darkness and enough mud thrown on the sport as it is we don't need any more unnecessary you know I completely agree with you, Dillian. And I, I, you know, we both know Mauricio well. And I, I, I think it's a soundbite more than anything because um, the, 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 the one fight that I think works and only as an exhibition is the third fight between um, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield in a body, just a body sparring session where maybe they rerun the fights they had and they do an exhibition of what happened when they fought each other and a little bit of fake ear falls off Evander and it's a bit of fun and they raise money for charity because it, people saw a little clip of Mike getting back in shape and good good on him for getting in shape again. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful character now from our sport. Someone who mm. 20 years ago, we would have wondered if he would still be alive, to be honest, for, for all that he's been through in his life, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, do you not agree, though, that they, they could do an exhibition? And really, the only fight for him is for he and Evander, who have, and they're friends now, of course, to go back and almost do a retrospective for us about look, what, that, what happened with them on the night. Do you know what I mean? Look, look at this way. When we say Evander Holyfield fought, um, Nikolai Valiev, we thought no, he needs to. Have, he is he's way past it now. It is, you know, even though I thought that he did good in that fight, but you could see, you could just see that it is too much. You need to. I know many years ago was that, you know, he he was struggling then. So imagine now, you know, I mean, listen, he looks physically good because Ivan Oliver's got great genetics. He looks good. Mike Tyson got great genetics. He looks good, but. It's all good watching someone do a 15 one-minute clip on Instagram, getting back in the ring and fighting 12 three-minute rounds with it. Don't get me wrong, he's probably still got the power to chin a lot of guys, you know. Mm, yeah. Obviously, you know, underboxing intelligence or whatever, but at that age, your mind tells you stuff and your eyes see stuff, but your body just won't allow you to do it. You know, mm. and you can think you got it and you're still this and you're so that you're going against these young guys you know, we've seen it up in time and time again. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, you've seen it up in time and time again. Older guys come back, or older guys fight on too long, and then you know, it's just not, 
It's just that what's the point? You're, you're a legend. You're a living legend. Be that and leave it alone. But we don't know people's financial situation and what they're doing and what they've been through and the reasons. You might just feel like he wants to test himself, but yeah. there's easier ways of testing yourself than coming back and fighting when it's these young hungry guys, you might get seriously hurt and that's the biggest Correct. worry for me. Hmm. Speaking of looking good, I'd say something, man. Shape on you at the moment. You're right. You're putting in the work in Portugal, aren't you? No, we're working. I've still got a long way to go. You know, I've still got a long way to go, but we're working. It's, hard. it's always hard because I don't know exactly when the peak date is. So we're training yeah. hard. We're improving. We're moving well. Obviously, you know, I still got a tiny bit of weight to lose, obviously, you know, about three kilos or something. But it's not the end of the world because once we know what's what, then I walk the ante a little bit. But we're training good. My running time is getting better. My run, you know I mean? I'm sparring and doing stuff. I'm training. Training's getting well. Balance is better. I'm a lot lighter than I was for my last fight already. So so that within itself is, is an amazing improvement, you know. I'm a lot lighter. Mm. Can't have you at 300 pounds again, Dillian. You're not allowed to be 300 pounds again. You know, even, you know, we want those big sexy legs back. That's I've, when I've, I know I've you're never, in I've, the right I've shape. Never, I've never been 300 pounds before in the ring, but, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. 300 is a bit <laughs> far-fetched, but I know what you mean. You can slap me when you see me for saying that. Well, no, that's all right. Listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not that insecure, mate. You know, I was laughing. I was laughing myself when I got the skills, and he said, "I'm um, two seventy, two hundred seventy pounds." But you know what? Considering what was going on at the time, where my mind was at, and everything, yeah, yeah. I was. When you look back at it, I, I, I think to myself, you know, many guys wouldn't have fought. You know, for me, that was a major achievement that I actually made it to a fight and and compete yeah. against mm-hmm. someone who was a tough guy and who was in shape. Because Wack was Wack was training for a good three months before because he was meant to fight. Another guy, and then obviously my fight came, which was three weeks later. So he had even more time to. I had three weeks' notice. He had more time to, to extend his camp. And you know, Marius is a tough guy. You know, and obviously credit due to him, or whatever. He's a very tough guy. But you know, obviously I was in a dark place. I wasn't focused. I was a bit all over the place and everything. Mm-hmm. But just shows how tough I am. Just shows how tough I am. Resilience. I am. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still able to make it to a fight and still compete. At a decent fringe world, world, fringe world level, even with everything I had going on, so that just shows. That's another tick and 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 my mental status, and I know mentally tough and 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 physically tough and strong I am, you know. Well, we're looking to see my man. So you're expecting a date announcement? What within the next week or so for for the Povetkin fight? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm I'm excited about the fight. It's a major fight. I mean, I'm also excited about giving the fans something to look forward to because in yeah. times like these it's very important for people to have things you know like like listen since there's been no sports this, my weekends has been boring I sit around I think ah. <laughs> you know you, you know you, we take these things for granted oh I'm not going to watch yeah, that fight do. I'm not going to watch this I'm not going to watch that match I'm not going to watch this then now you're thinking oh my god I'd pay anything to watch Crystal Palace versus um, <laughs> versus someone. You know, it, it's the truth. You know, I'll give anything to go to your call and watch watch an average boxing show. You know, and that's yeah. the thing. You know, we take these things for granted, but these things are real. You know, make you remember. Wow, you know, and appreciate. Wow, you know what? These the, the boxing, the football, the rugby is such an important thing for people mentally and physically. You know. You will have seen this week that Charlie Edwards has got himself a new promoter. 
And that is where I started my conversation with the guy from Croydon earlier on this week. It come to, to, to an end, obviously I had that um, no contest, controversial um, kind of fight, which made a lot of noise. And um, I was still in contract, but my contract finished in um, December after the fight. And um, after that, we was we was talking about having not the rematch because I decided I needed to move up weight for my own health reasons and everything. Um, we was talking about having another fight and um, it just didn't come to fruition in time. And I come out of contract, but then... I, I could have had another fight if I waited a lap round and still fought on the matching show. But my advisor, my management team, MTK Global, they um, advised me, listen, you're in a very good position now. On paper, you're still undefeated WBC flyweight champion. You're moving up. You're going to be ranked number two in the WBC rankings at super flyweight. So why don't you just take a little step back mm-hmm. and um, be a free agent? If you want to get in the ring, we'll get you out on an MTK show, which I was supposed to do before this lockdown kind of went a bit crazy. And um, then we'll see what the offers come in because you've made your name, you've made your brand, and you've got a very high world ranking at the new weight you're in. So you'll get valued a lot more and um, you might get very good deals. And it just come to, to show that that was the right move to do. Um, I had a few offers from a few different promoters. And um, Frank Frank Oren come up with the the biggest bid and the best career path, so um, it made sense for me. And um, I'm really grateful that I did listen to my management team because I can be a nightmare sometimes and be like, no, I want to do it this way. And I um, I got the I got the offer. I was a free agent for a little bit, which was a hard time. Yeah, yeah. it was a hard time, especially with social media and things and people like jumping on you, saying this, saying that when they don't know the ins and outs of what's gone on. Yeah. And um, it paid off. It paid off with with um, this quarantine and lockdown and it basically well being put on pause. It it made the promoters come out in full force trying to strike and get some news behind them. And um, I've got a very good good future to look forward to. Fighting on BT Sport, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing. It's crossing platforms. So I'm going to get kind of like both watches now. Um, and it's good. I'm really looking forward to it because it's a fresh start for me. I've been professional boxing now for six years and I felt like I needed like an uplift, a bit of a change, put the past behind me and start on chapter two. So very exciting times ahead. Did you speak to your brother? Because obviously he's there as well, isn't he? You know what I mean? Now we're going to get Edward's double bills. Is that what we're going to get? <laughs> That's it. Like when I set out in this pro game, I had a bucket list and I ticked a lot of it off, but I was always wanted to fight with my brother on the same cards as a yeah, professional. Yeah. So it's another kind of avenue why I went this way. I've also seen how Frank Warren's looked after my brother from the the start of his career all the way through, built him up, and now he's a massive name on BT Sport. Mm-hmm. I've seen behind the scenes what, what they do for their fighters. And um, for me, it was a no-brainer. Like they, They've been on at me for a long time over the last few years, being on the same shows when my brother fights. When are you going to come sign with us? And I used to say, show me the money. That's it. That's <laughs> and it, they man. certainly did. <laughs> so um, it was... It's something written in the pipeline that maybe it could have happened. It was all under wraps for a long time. So, um, yeah, my brother did influence me massively on this kind of decision because I've seen everything for myself of how they actually deal with a fighter. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about how heartbreaking it is to... 
when you're world champion and like you just yeah. mentioned there a moment or two ago you're struggling to make weight at the at the weight that you're world champion how heartbreaking it is when you've it's... grafted grafted to get yourself into that situation but it's your body and, and, and your phys- yeah. physical attributes that are kind of letting you down a little bit it's it's, it's really heartbreaking it is like it, um, it actually kind of like killed me mentally for a little while. It took me a long, long time to kind of like get through that. And um, it was, it was horrible, really, really horrible. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, health is wealth. Mm-hmm. And I need to really focus about my longevity of my career and not my short-term career. When I dropped down to flyweight, I was fighting at super flyweight. And I, I and I started developing power. I, I knocked out Anthony Nelson within three rounds for the w, uh, WBA um, Intercontinental title. And then I got a phone call. And I hadn't made uh, flyweight for two years. And the last time I'd done it was against John Royal Casemiro. And I moved up then because I was really tight and really struggling. And it was taking away more, more my happiness than love for the sport because I was having to sacrifice every single last yeah. little percentage and it, it killed me inside. And when I dropped down, I, I knew it always had a time time scale. And the younger me, when I was a kid, dreamed of becoming the world champion so so bad. So for me, it took a, it was a right move because if I hadn't dropped down, I wouldn't be sitting here well, having won a WBC world title. So I just took the opportunity and it was a pleasure and it was a great time mm-hmm. being a world champion. But I always knew it had that time zone on it where I had to admit defeat to myself. And the hardest defeat is the one you do to yourself. Yeah. It's easy to get into the ring, get a beat in and get out and be like, all right, like right, I'll come again. But when you're doing it yourself and you're looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I can't do this no more, mm-hmm. it, it does crush you inside. But I'm over that hurdle now. It's um, It was a tough time, but my missus was there to support me. She was very strong. Um, and she helped me get through through these really hard times. And uh, my family has been there. And it's um, allowed me really to kind of like know who's real around me again. Because like when you become world champion, you get caught on a wave. You've got this person coming at you here, there and everywhere. And there's distraction. So it's valuable lessons to be learned in the, in the time where I hold the world title. And next time when I gain a world title at a weight I can hold it for, I'll be ready to kind of rule for a much longer time. Uh, how much of the period of time when you're training is your mind occupied by making weight when you're at flyweight well when i was at flyweight the whole time yeah, yeah. even even to the fact of once i weighed in you you get a free you get your head goes right so you 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 feel happy again you've weighed in you can eat you put that all behind you then you fight you win great two weeks later no, you can't even enjoy yourself after your fight really because yeah. you've always got that in the back of your mind like oh I've got to make this weight again. I've got to do this again. So you're restricting yourself from all things that are pleasurable in life. You've got to cut yourself away from everything. And I know at the top of the top, you've got to make sacrifices, but them extreme weight cuts and real things when I was like losing four and a half kilos a day before to make a weigh-in at 3% body fat, it can it can cook you inside. And um, more than anything, like I haven't really spoke out about it, but before the fight, I was my trainer was my last fight. My trainer was actually gonna pull me out. My brother and him had actually words wow. that like because they see me how bad I was on the way in and stuff like that. And um, the night night before the weigh in, I only had an hour of sleep. Like my body was on pure survival mode. It just wouldn't shut off. It wouldn't. Think my mouth was dry. I tortured myself through the night, and I was laying there and I was thinking, oh, I'm I'm scared. Yeah. I'm really scared for my own health. And I was like having mad thoughts like. I don't want to end up like my mum. 
And to have them thoughts the day before a world title fight against your mandatory challenger, mm-hmm. it was so scary. I can imagine. And when, and when it happened the way it did, I, I'm, it's a blessing, really. It's a real blessing. Someone's looking down on me because it could have been a lot worse in there. 12 rounds hard-fought contest. Who knows what could have happened to my health after. So mm. I've just got to thank someone up above who's looking down on me. A lot of people obviously talk about the physical aspect of making weight, but as a, the reason why I asked you that question there is that you're preparing for a world title fight. The guy that you were fighting was no joke. He's, he's legit, you no. know? Yeah. So your mind should be focused purely on what's he going to be doing, what am I going to be doing in yeah. that ring? Not 24 hours before you're going to fight, am I going to yeah. get the scales here? Am I going to lose my belt on the blooming scales yeah. here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Things like that yeah. shouldn't be in your mind. No, no, def- definitely not. Like, at, at the elite, at the elite, um, it is very tough, especially when you're doing weights that are unnatural for you. At British level, when the like skill set is far yeah. different, you can get away with that. But when you're fighting the top of the top world champions, and as you can see, Martinez it was my mandatory challenger, and he's gone on to do great things after our fight. So um, it's like he's a real world beater. He's with the Canelo team, and... Um, them percentages all add up, and because he's a he's a lot he's a lot shorter than me, but he makes the weight comfortably, and you can see that on his body, and that's why he was so strong in there. Mm. Like when I'm sparring and I'm like five kilos up, it's crazy what I can what I can perform like in the sparring ring, and then you zap that five kilo out, and you like Bambi on ice, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> so, are you going back to flyweight? Are you looking at bantam, or where, where are you going to become competing when you when you're back in the ring? Um, I spoke to my Super management team, I spoke to Frank um, the, the other day, actually. And um, at World Scene, I'll be fighting at Superfly Weight because yep. it's still going to be a tough, like only three pounds different. It's still going to be a tough challenge. But I do understand at world level, sometimes you've got to push the 1%, 2% a little bit. So at world level, I believe I'm a world level Superfly Weight. Um, but I do fancy coming in at Bantam and having a few fights at Bantam because I'm big enough and um, it would be nice to develop myself and develop my confidence at Bantamweight um, to then grow into that. So um, with the times that we're in right now, I doubt we'll be getting any like world kind of opportunities around the world or flight, fight, uh, world champions flying into fights. So mm. I can see it being a lot more British dust-ups, which is all good and great. And I look forward to like kind of coming back down to, to British level at maybe Bantam because there'll be a lot more fighters that will be willing to fight me. And from world level to British level, it's a massive jump. And um, I, I, I feel at Bantamweight, I can put on a big statement. I'll be holding a lot more power with me as well as my boxing ability. And um, yeah, I look forward to, to actually knocking some people out again. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, following Charlie Edwards, I think it's only fair that we cross over to America. A young lady that has absolutely dominated her weight category for God knows how long. I can't even remember the last welterweight champion. She's undefeated through 36 fights. She's, of course, the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, Cecilia Brackhouse, and she joined me earlier on this week for a catch-up. Before we obviously talk about your sensational career, but what we'd like to do is maybe give more of um, a rounder picture, a bit of a life story of how all this fantastic... Uh, an epic achievement kind of began. And not a lot of people would know that you're actually born in Colombia because obviously they see the Norwegian flag and they think that you're, you originate from Norway, Norway, but you were actually were born in Colombia. Yes. And, you know, and there are maybe some things that they will give a clue that I'm not, you know, born in Norway <laughs> with Norwegian parents. <laughs> so, but my, my parents are Norwegian and, you know, they are like, what you are thinking about when you think about Norwegian, you know, both of them are blonde and they have blue eyes. And uh, so, <laughs> so it's kind of funny, you know, when they're coming with this, uh, um, this little girl with the uh, curls, dark skin from Colombia, Cartagena, um, where I was born and adopted when I was almost three years old. Not a lot of people will know that obviously um, when you were born, actually, Norway, uh, had a ban on professional boxing. So they wouldn't have been around you. It, you, you wouldn't have been seeing it or, or, or being around it on the television, I would imagine. So what was that process like? What other sports were you doing? Were you doing soccer? Were you doing skiing? What, what other things were you doing? Oh, yeah, I did all the, you know, traditional sports like soccer, skiing, uh, swimming. And um, I was even a Girl Scout for a while. But, you know... <laughs> Lying out in tent in the middle of the winter wasn't quite where I saw myself in the future. So, um, yeah, so I just, uh, it was so random. I just saw a poster that says, you know, do you want to try kickboxing? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to try kickboxing. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it just clicked from the first second. What was um, your parents' reaction to wanting to uh, participate in kickboxing? <laughs> they did not like it. <laughs> they did not do that at all. But you have to remember, this was another time. This was before it was cool to for girls to have muscles, to train, to, you know, before CrossFit, before MMA, you know, Ronda Rousey, Serena Williams. This was another time. And my parents only did this to protect me. I see that now. Mm -hmm. Um but, uh, you know, still the norm was, it was long overdue for things to change. Well, when was the time that you decided to change from kickboxing 
into boxing because you was being you was successful. You were winning championships in kickboxing. So what was what was the process of moving into just the sweet science? I think it was two things. I was very um, you know I was watching it and I saw that that was a that was another challenge you know and it was uh, more people doing it and it was I, I I had become European champion and world champion so I was kind of satisfied satisfied with that. It it isn't really anywhere else to go. Uh, with kickboxing yeah. it's an olympic game and professional kickboxing isn't really wasn't really a thing but uh, with the boxing that was a different story and it was also, also a little bit like financially because kickboxing you had to pay everything on your own and it was expensive well, what was it like politically because again still people weren't allowed to professionally fight in in norway at that time you are the person that knocked that door down. And I'm sure that you had many a conversation with many a politician and many a sports minister in order to make that happen. So what was that like? Because I, you know, you just want to concentrate on your craft and, and a box. In the beginning, I was uh, only fighting outside of Norway and everything was fine then, you know. I actually won an award for, no, for athletes, not female athletes, but athletes of the year. Yeah. Beating years, football players, like all these huge names. And, um, my fights were on pay-per-view in Norway and, uh, you know, people, I had really high uh, uh, viewership and mm -hmm. um, people was really uh, rooting for me. And then I said, you know what? I want to come home. I want to box in Norway. I don't just want to be on the television screen. And then all hell broke loose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people went crazy and, and especially the ones who were against professional boxing. Yeah. They went absolutely nuts. So uh, we worked a couple of years uh, on uh, on that, uh, <laughs> and uh, at, and uh, in the end we got the votes we needed. Sometimes when I'm watching the two minute rounds, does my head in a little bit because I watch it and I think there's going to be a finish in a moment, and then the and then the round ends. And I personally think that that's quite patronising to you guys, you know, because. You can stop people. And, and I think that's how the sport grows, in my opinion, that the more stoppages there are. We, I know it's a sick thing as a fan. You're coming to watch knockouts, you know? And mm. I think if we got to see that a lot more in, in female sport, in, in the female side of the game, I think that's the next step. I don't know where you're at with that, whether you, whether you want to see three-minute rounds or not. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. That's uh, definitely something that we um, uh, could do. But before... I think what's more important before uh, talking about the two and three minutes round, it's the promotion, the level of uh, promotion okay. and the commitment from TV and from promoters. You see, the only thing uh, you need is um, proper promotion. Like people want to connect, people want to uh, either they want to cheer for you or they want to see you get knocked down. It doesn't matter. Whatever makes them watch. So. Yeah, yeah. Proper promotion and television company that let just see just see what happened to Ronda Rousey the second they started to put the whole um, the whole uh, machinery from UFC yeah. behind her she became poof a superstar yeah. and um, they created a lot of superstars after that so it's um, the first thing I would see is. Um, um, not only taking girls in because that's politically correct and you know uh, you're getting a gold star uh, uh, in your book but actually investing in them 
And yeah. then it comes to, of course, getting paid. And so we can have the same uh, possibility for training and for having the best coaches and teams, mm -hmm. of course, also will make us, you know, um, uh, be better uh, in the ring and deliver more knockouts. And uh, uh, and the discussion of Ministra, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Accolades-wise, you've got it all. Um, so I think we're all thirsty for some of those super fights that could possibly be made over the next year to two years and what have you. Um, and with you being welterweight champion and Katie Taylor not being too far behind in weight, can you see that matchup, especially with you now teaming up with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom? Definitely. And uh, you know, this is something that's uh, never been a secret. That's one of the reasons why I uh, signed with Matchroom and I was, uh, you know, I was told that in the future I would... Uh, uh, meet up with uh, Katie Taylor. On um, on another matchup, which isn't necessarily a matchroom matchup, I know that uh, Clarissa Shields is coming down in weight. She seems to be getting closer to welterweight. She's, she's, she's coming as close as she possibly can. What about that one? Because that is a super, super fight. It is a super fight. And, um, well, let's just give you some background. I watched, uh, I, I fought for HBO a couple of fights that HBO went out of business in boxing. And I was, you know, standing there and, uh, well, basically a free agent. I wasn't, uh, I was just looking around. I was open for everything. And, um, you know, the first people we take, uh, uh we're in contact with is Showtime to do this fight with Clarissa because we all know that uh, that would be a big fight. They didn't seem that interested. So then Eddie Hearn comes and he's like, you know, we have to do this and this and this, and you know, you're going to get paid that and that and that. And of course, you know, that's, uh, that's yeah. the option you go for then. And there was no, there was absolutely a no brainer. And I know Clarissa wants to fight this fight, but unfortunately she's not the one who's sitting um, uh, with the money bag, <laughs> unfortunately. One of the first fights that we lost when we went into lockdown was Joe Joyce versus Daniel Dubois. I know, it upset me as much as it upset you. It even upset Joe Joyce and I caught up with him this week to have a little bit of a chat about it. Yeah, I was ready to go. I, you know, had great sparring partners out there and, um, you know, everything was, you know, re reconnected with Salas. So I was, uh, you know, getting used to that kind of style again. And, you know, my fitness was improving. I was, had the best facility to train in, that UFC facility, which was great. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, really looking forward to fighting. And then, obviously, things started going a bit, Alright, <laughs> the COVID nineteen looming his his ugly head, and then um, we had to like quickly escape back to back to the UK. How how quick was the escape? Because I remember America being shut down pretty rapid, man. So what was it? Was it like get the call and get on the plane and get out of there? Yeah, I think so. One of the weekends we went out for food, and I noticed it being like a little less busy in like a place where an area where it would have been like rammed normally. Yeah. But we didn't really, we was kind of in that little like training bubble. We didn't really, didn't really notice anything until, uh, you know, obviously we, we started hearing it on the news and, and, and stuff like that. And then it wasn't until, I think, um, like Adam Morelli called and was saying, no, we need to, um, guys, we need to, we need to get a flight, book, uh, need to book your flight back. 
So it's like wow. Um, and the last flight would have been would have gone on the Tuesday, and we managed to. Um, I think Lerone went Friday, and the rest of us went Sunday. So it was like it was like cutting it fine, like to get to get back in time. Whose idea was it yeah. to go to go to the PI and work there? It was between like me and my managers, Abanada, mm-hmm. uh, and um, decided to because it's such a big fight. We decided to you know, uh, make sure we've, we've ticked all the boxes and, uh, you know, re- reconnect with Salas and, and make sure we get that. Obviously, the UFC facility was was key and um, have uh, had Cam, had Cam uh, Cameron to, to train us there. You know, it's just it was great that we had the contact um, to um, to be able to use it. Yeah, it's a fantastic place, man. And talk to me about reconnecting with Salas because, like you say, you've you've trained with Abel Sanchez, you've trained with Adam Booth. Obviously, you've been yeah. with Salas previously. Was it um, his Cuban roots? I mean, you would have been used to that probably from your amateur days, wouldn't you? Is, is that is that the reason as to why you've gone back? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even um, before the ADAs, I went out to Cuba and, and did some training out there um, for three weeks and then came back, won the ADAs as we got the GB team. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of used to the, the Cuban method, and uh, Dallas really gets me. And like, no, uh, well, I think we get each other. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's funny and he's enjoyable to work with, man. He, you know, it's really good to form like a good team, and mm-hmm. then you can, uh, especially for such a big fight. I was like, uh, I was so, I was so looking forward to it, and 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 so is everyone else. Mate, absolutely, man. We're good at that. It's- Fingers crossed we can get that rescheduled at some point. I noticed um, on your Instagram as well, you teamed up with uh, the UFC heavyweight Francis Ngannou. I know that he trains out the PI and he's been obviously fighting recently because the UFC are back. Um, and I know he's got ambitions of stepping over into the world of boxing, but he, get, he gave you a few rounds, didn't he, during, during your sparring out there? Yeah, yeah. he um, Yeah, because I, I saw him like milling around. I said hello to him like in the change room and or, or, or whatever, whatever. And, uh, and then... Um, what we're talking and then like he, he said like he was saying to Sam that he, he wants sparring so um, <laughs> he managed to organise that he came down to to Salas' gym and we did, did, did some really good really good rounds he's so strong man <laughs> like yeah, yeah. he's a beast and he's a re- he's a really nice guy as well I like him but obviously if he's uh, not getting to a fight with him we'd have to we'd have to uh, yeah obviously it's a, it's a sport at the end of the day but um He's still, he's still gonna try and take my head off. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've, you've got, you two have got similar demeanours because outside the ring, you're very nice, pleasant, polite gentlemen. But then when the bell goes, something, uh, something goes, and uh, like you, like you just said, it's fight time, and away we go. I'm sure that that uh, that sparring session between the pair, you would have been mildly entertaining. Oh yeah, mate. Yeah, <laughs> some some fireworks, definitely. Would you ever uh, consider going the other way? He's obviously wanting to come into the world of boxing at some point. Would you? Because you're quite an athletic fella, Joe. Would you not fancy a bit of a go in the cage? Yeah, I, I could. Yeah, I could. I've I've done a. So I I grew up with martial arts. I started as a kid, like five or something, doing karate. Doing karate with my dad. Then I I carried on and see kung fu, kickboxing, capoeira. And then um, I oh yeah before my before I graduated junior I missed my graduation ceremony I, went, I already had booked with my last uh, student loan money the flight to go to to train in Shaolin 
Uh, no, not in Shaolin, but in a, in a Shaolin school. In, with the monks? They, uh, not with the monks, but in a... Because they have these... Um, they have these kung fu schools in China, in um, and and basically the kids are there from I don't know like yeah, yeah, yeah. four or five or something. They look like tiny, <laughs> and they're all up to like I don't know. I don't know if they're sixteen or eighteen or something like that. Because um, they look like kind of long, younger. Because there's a there, there's a girl training there. I remember I thought she was about sixteen. She was twenty one. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so I booked I booked the flight to go. To go there, so I did like some Shaolin, uh, Shaolin kung fu in the school there. You missed graduation to go and teach yourself kung fu. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> better than like uh, renting the robe for the day. But I, I did get, I did get a photo with a like you know chucking the hat up and that. Um, what is the latest with uh, with the boxing? Because obviously, a fight of the magnitude of Joe Joyce. And Daniel Dubois, in my opinion, needs a crowd. I'm sure you've had these types of conversations with management and promoters and stuff. So will there be an interim bout before we get that one? What, what's the latest, Joe? Yeah, so I'm hoping to have uh, maybe like one or two uh, behind closed doors. Um, I think the boxing's going to start kicking off in like, was it, is it late June or July? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know, see how that goes. And then hopefully get on like, I don't know, one or two cards and and then um when there's when we're allowed to have uh, a big audience then it'll be just what we've been waiting for moving away from the world of boxing into the world of mma this week we spoke to the ceo of imaf design white He's got a campaign that he needs you to get involved with take a listen we're, we're big MMA fans, and we want, obviously, this to be recognised as a sport internationally. Um, talk to me about the difficulties that you've faced in the past, because, again, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm always gobsmacked that we're not further down the line. So what has been standing in your way? Well, essentially, um, what's been standing in our way has been the um, influential in- individuals uh, representing uh, the Olympic movement and also representing... Um, other Olympic combat sports that are either inside the Olympic, uh, recognized by the IOC, or maybe not yet recognized by the IOC, but aspire to become a, a part of the Olympic Games program. MMA? So, oh, sorry. Carry yeah, on, there's, an um, there's an umbrella organization called the Global Association of International Sports Federations. Yeah. And they are kind of a subsidiary of the IOC, and they act as a gatekeeper uh, for federations that wish to become IOC members. So they do the kind of the vetting process. Uh, and they're the ones that have, where that's where we really have been having the difficulty. Um, and uh, a lot of the uh, blockages within GASEF have been coming from other combat sport leaders who have a lot of power and influence within the gay self movement. So therefore, the answer to the question is political, isn't it? You know, I mean, MMA as a, as a sport has a fan base of, what, well over half a million, uh, 500 million people worldwide. We're talking about all different territories all over the world that absolutely adore this sport. We've seen the growth of the UFC, Bellator and Cage Warriors here in the UK from a professional point of view. And we're uh, big fans of some of our uh, uh, amateur athletes as as well what are the next stages and how how can listeners to talk sport this evening help 
in order to, uh, to, to with the momentum of, of hopefully getting this over the line at some point? Well, we've got, uh, as you probably know, a petition, online petition with change.org. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to get as many people to sign that as possible. I mean, we're at the moment, we started about a week ago. We're already up to just under 10,000 um, signatures. And we obviously want as many as possible. Um, so that that would be a good start for people that really love MMA, want to see it get recognised. And it's really important that we do get recognised because, uh, as you know, the sport needs to be regulated um, and to, to make sure that we can keep it safe for all of our participants. And one of the things that's happening with MMA at the moment, which may not have happened a few years ago, is that lots of lots of children are now attracted to this sport and are starting to join gyms um, so that they can practice MMA. And it's really important that they're protected and we have good safeguarding process in place. We make sure that coaches are certificated. Obviously, it's important from a championship perspective that we have qualified judges and referees. And that's the kind of work that IMAF has been doing the last four or five years. We, we're the ones, basically, that have been building the sport from the grassroots Everybody's heard of the UFC. They know about all the big events that they put on and the big stars. Um, But nothing was ever built at a grassroots level, and that's the work that we've been doing. And that's critically important. And as we speak today, we have over 100 members across five continents, um, and it's growing. Um, We took on another three members only this week uh, from Bolivia, Zambia, and Turkey. So... And, uh, you know, there's, there's others in the pipeline. So it, it just keeps on growing and growing. But we do need to get that recognition in place so that we can actually regulate the sport properly. Densine, we, we, we've been speaking probably for four or five years about this. And I've either done a column in Fighters Only magazine or pieces in The Telegraph um, over, you know, once a year for the last four or five years. I know the extraordinary work you and a group of other people are doing on this. It's brilliant to hear it's over 100 countries uh, now across five continents, clearly um, for the future of the sport from the bottom up, as you say, from the bottom of the pyramid, we yeah. need recognition for a sport that was once seen as the bastard son of sports, if you like, the outlaw. Yeah. It's no longer that. Um, there's there's all kinds of um, conditions and protocols that people won't know about that are put in place, which means that younger people are not damaged you know, to the head when they when they fight and so on. There are other protocols. How far down the line, and it's a disgrace if we're not there, are we with Sport England recognising events so that the UFC, Bellator, Cage Warriors, when they come here, don't have to have their own ad hoc commissions running events? How close are we? Because I, I know... I've helped to lobby before to Sport England and spoken to people. How close are we to getting them to properly, properly recognise that this is a bona fide sport that is a brilliant thing and changes lives? Well, Gareth, I mean, I'm going to have to tell you the truth. It's been very disappointing. Um, We have uh, been making contacts with um, Sport England. I've written myself to the... Uh, the minister for from the uh, Department for Culture, Media and Sports had no response uh, yet. Uh, I've spoken to the leadership within Sport England, and uh, I get the I get the impression they're not fans of MMA, um, and so that they're, they're not really moving on it. Applications have been put into them, 
Uh, Mark Goddard is now the new president of the English mm -hmm. Mixed Martial Arts Association. You, you obviously know Mark really well. Um, and he, you know, he's a person of very high integrity and he's pushing really hard to galvanise all the clubs and bring everybody into the tent. Um, but you know what? Densine, Densine, yeah. Densine, let me say this and I'll say it now and I know Adam will agree with, you, with me. In the next couple of weeks, let's get you back on. Let's get Mark Goddard on and let's get the sports minister on and let's talk about this publicly on the radio. Yeah, it'd be great if you can do that. I know Adam will agree with me over that. We need the debate on air to find yeah, out why absolutely. they will not accept. Um, because, you know, I've had lots of dealings with sports ministers, about seven or eight over the years, you know, yeah. over school sports matters, about Paralympic stuff. It is time to make them stand up and listen and have the debate live and embarrass them into doing it, in my view. Yeah, yeah, do, do, I was, I was going to ask you, do, do the misconceptions of safety around MMA still stand? I mean, I, I remember speaking to so many people over the years where they say they make references to stuff that they've seen maybe 15 years ago, you know, and the sport has come on some leaps and bounds since then. Are those misconceptions still there? Is that one of the things that is holding us up? Yeah, it is. The, the misconceptions are still there. They still think it's uh, barbaric and it's um, just a little bit above street fighting and... Um, they just don't understand. Yeah, they they just don't understand how much work has been done and 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 the the safety standards that we have and that UFC oh. have are incredible. I mean, we are probably one of the safest sports um, for participants that you can take part in. I mean, we our, our we have a gold standard in terms of medical protocols. I mean, all of our yeah. athletes have to provide. Uh, medical um, uh, medical reports before they can take part. They have to have HIV test, hepatitis A and B. Mm. We do pre-fight medicals, post-fight medicals. Anyone that's stopped in a contest has to go for a brain scan, which we which we pay for. Um, or if the doctors think that there's something not quite right with a fighter, they can still go for a, a brain scan. I mean, we we do so much, and we have a, we've got obviously we're doing anti-doping, we're doing drug testing at all of our events. Um, we've got Michelle Varrocken, who comes with very high reputation, managing our anti-doping program. Um, we've got fantastic doctors, top of their fields. So we've got a medical commission. Um, we've got a therapeutic use exemption panel. Um, and, and also, that's another issue with the lack of regulation, because we've had to ban athletes who had medical conditions, but they weren't able to get a therapeutic use exemption because MMA is not recognised in their country. Yeah, and and under the code we have no option but to apply the code, which means that if they get a positive test, it's four years. Yeah, it's just it's yeah, destroying athlete careers. Yes, and, that's then, a, and what? So that's that's another issue. Wider is the other issue as well, where our application has been rejected by them also to become a signatory. What we'll do then? Because obviously we've we've only had ten fifteen minutes, and this this could easily do an hour, two hours of our, our radio program, no question about it. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll uh, we'll endeavour to get the the significant voices on the radio. And if you could come back on, and we could get Mark on, and maybe Dan Hardy and people like that to come and join us in that conversation. No, I'll get the sports minister. Ed. I will get the sports minister on. We, that's who we need. We need the sports minister on. I mean, that's we what I mean. So this. we can bring all it's these voices annoying. together. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, that's what we'll do. Yeah. So, Denzan, if you could come and join us in a couple of weeks once we've got everybody together, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. And hopefully, we can help push that on. If you can do that, that's an amazing achievement in itself. 
Top man. Nice one. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been great to speak to you. And we'll uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again in the not too distant future. Denzel White, there, the uh, CEO of uh, IMAF. Um, and fingers crossed, Gareth, we can uh, we could be the catalyst to to get that conversation going. And fingers crossed, we might well, in the not too distant future see MMA in the Olympic Games. Listen, I know we've got to go to a break, but it really annoys me. It's annoyed me tonight because I've written about this with Denzel for five years, and I haven't really been up to speed with what Sport England have been doing at at the moment. You know, and when they support. All these other sports, it's an utter disgrace in my view that they do not support a sport that is clearly sailing in the in the world and changes people's lives and is not um, the sport that they are looking at from Sport England's point of view. It is time to change it, Adam. Time to change it. Back to boxing now. And everybody knows Ricky Hatton. He's been on our show recently. And I'm sure you're fully aware that he's got a brother that used to do a bit as well. Magic Matthew Hatton caught up with our very own Don McGuinness this week for a look back at his illustrious career. I think people look at it from the outside and think, well, yeah, there's, there's Ricky doing this amazing thing and it's Britpop and the explosion and the fan base and all the rest of it. And then there's Matthew. But you must have gained so much confidence by training with, with the likes of Ricky. And obviously, prior, you know, Gomez was in the gym and, you know, Paul Smith Jr. prior to that, he, he was there at some point and then Macklin came in and, the sparring that you all had and the fact that you were doing well in sparring with the likes of Macklin, with Ricky and, and all the rest of it. I mean, you must, have, you must have known that you were a lot better than anyone was giving you credit at the time. Absolutely. And like I said, I always self-belief and we had a great gym at the time. All the fighters that you've touched on there, sparring with them each and every day. And I'll be the first to admit, and a lot of them sparring sessions... Uh, I was coming out getting second prize, but that's the full circle of boxing, you know. Um, eventually, as I progressed and, and got better, the guys that were sparring early on, as I was getting better and better, then I, I started having me, me, me own way with the guys. But like you say, being around them guys, I was very fortunate. I, I boxed all over the world, trained all over the world, worked with lots of different trainers, lots of different fighters, taking little bits off each of them. And looking back on those memories now, that's what's helping me going into the coaching and the training, which is, is where my ambitions are. You know what I mean? Going going, going on as a, as a trainer now. But we had a great gym at the Phoenix Camp. Some real characters, you know what I mean? I'm not sure what time we're going to air this, but mate, so, some of the stories would make your hair curl. But it was great, great times. And I look back on it very fondly. And when you think of your career uh, and, and the, you know, the early speed bumps and everything else, but getting that European title, which led you on. Uh, you know, beating Gianluca Branco was no mean feat either. He'd only lost to Gatto, Gatti and Cotto. Again, decent pedigree. So again, you then go into the Canelo fight. People say you don't deserve the shot, but you've just beaten, you know, Branco and all the rest of it. What was your mindset going into that fight? Now, when you look back, given that nobody really gave you a prayer, even though he was only twenty at the time, but he'd already had, I think, thirty odd fights. Mm-hmm. Well, it was. Um, I must have one of them faces, Don. People always seem to knock me when I was boxing, but I, I've got to say. Um, the abuse he used to get on Twitter and things like that, it was it was terrible, but it's it was one of those things that never really bothered me and it still doesn't. But I've got to say, since I retired, and I think it's the way sometimes, pe- people have got nothing but compliments for, mm. for me now, where at the time, I was just it didn't matter what I was doing, I was getting knocked for it when I fought Branco. Like you say, he, he only lost to uh, Gatti and, and Cotto and people said, oh, he was this age, he was that age, he wasn't this, he wasn't that. Um, even even 
two, I think I won the European title. I think it was about three or four years later. He was he won the European European title back and, and had another spell as European champion. Same when I thought Alvarez, you know, he's going to get blown away. He's going to get this. He's going to get that. And, um, you know, Alvarez has gone on to do some fantastic things. One of the best, if not the best pound for pound fighter out there now. And uh, to look back and when you look at the level of opposition, some of the British fighters he's faced, some of the great British fighters he's faced, to uh, to still be the only one to have uh, have heard that final bell uh, again makes me very proud. We was laughing before, you know, <laughs> about me saying I'm still on two paracetamol uh, a day now, uh, but I'm not joking. He's a strong, strong guy. You only you only got stopped once in your career. That was on a cut, and then as you say, you went the distance with Canelo. And with what he's achieved now, and he and he was you know he was he was a ferocious fighter even then. You know, even as a twenty year old, he, not many fancied the chances to go the distance with him then how did it feel being in there uh, uh, and what was you know how did you manage you, you could have taken a knee let's face it you could have got paid and got out of there so what was what was it like being in there and sharing those rounds well it, it was just never in my nature to do that I, I always wanted to to face the best and challenge myself uh, against the best in that fight you know it was well documented he never even made the weight that we agreed to fight on so he had a huge size difference going into the fight I could have walked away with that fight at the time I think I could have walked away and still got 25% of my purse but it just has never been in my nature to to quit or to walk away I'm a stubborn character and I went in there that night and to be brutally honest Dom it wasn't the most enjoyable experience while it lasted. It's nice to look back on now. I still wake up and I still got I still have a little wipe down with a with a cold flannel. It was it was joking aside, straight from the first bell I knew what a special fight he was. And uh, as soon as that first bell went he come out and he hit me with a few shots and uh, phenomenal punch power, unbelievably strong. He picked picked his punches very well and uh, I did very, very well to, to last the course uh, that night. There, there was certainly no uh, no doubt in the cards, wasn't he, mate? But looking back, and I, I never quit. I was trying throughout the fight and um, I think sometimes in defeat, your stock can rise and that was certainly the, 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 the case that night and I was proud of what I did and uh, again, it's I've achieved a lot in my boxing career but when I speak to people now, the first thing they want to talk about is the Alvarez fight, and, and that's because he's gone, gone on to be such a, a, a great fighter. So, uh, again, great memories in the build-up. Not so great memories throughout the fight, I've got to say. But And then again, my stock rolls after. So, on the whole, again, another really enjoyable experience. Yeah, and it says UD next to your name. It doesn't say TKO or KO. And, you know, for that, you've got to be very proud. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a good achievement. Yeah. It led you on to other things as well. As you say, you stopped Rose. And I think you, you did meet a, a, an absolute peak Kel Brook as well, didn't you? Which was another experience that didn't go your way on the night. You, you, obviously, you went in there with a lot of confidence. And Bob Shannon in your corner at the time as well. I know you, you had experience with a few different trainers, didn't you? But I, I, again, you, you can walk away from that one as well, looking what Kel achieves and think, mm -hmm. well, you know, to fight him at the peak of his powers. Again, I didn't do bad. Again, uh, I don't have too many regrets looking back on my boxing career, but the Kelbrook fight would be one. Um, this is boxing, you know, it's not a tickling contest. I always remember the Kelbrook fight and I always fancied um, the Kelbrook fight. Um, the Kelbrook fight was actually made. I'd, I'd, I'd gone out one evening, had a few too many drinks, got his phone number and phoned him up <laughs> and called him all sorts on the phone. And that's how that fight originally got made. Uh, probably not the best move I've ever done, <laughs> looking back with hindsight. But 
yeah, I always fancied that fight. And in the in the first round, my nose went broken. My nose. And in all my years in boxing and all my fights, I've never really been in in that much pain in the ring. But that night, the pain was unbearable. Uh, broken nose in in the first round. Every time I, I tried to attack or or do various different things, I was getting shots. I was getting the jab on the nose, and, and the pain was just unbearable that night. So it was one of them where. I didn't feel like I boxed at me, me best um, or I could perform at my best that evening. But again, it's this is the sport we're in. This is boxing. He punched me on the nose and, and broke my nose. You know, if he hadn't have broke my nose, I'm not saying I would have won the fight. You know, one thing you always get with me is honesty. Kel Brook was a better fight, fighter than me. But it was just unfortunate the way I, I got the broken nose. But again, looking back, you know, I, I had other fights when I won the European title, suffered a broken jaw in the first round, suffered a broken nose in the foot in the first round but there's no quitting me there never has been and, and there never will be when you were going through your career as well it's very hard for I think any sibling when they've got you know obviously somebody that's in the family that there's a lot more attention on I know that you've always been your own man uh, to the point that a lot of people won't even know that you know Ricky Hatton is always linked with Man City your dad played for City the City 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 everywhere Man City and you're a United fan yeah, I mean, again, it kind of sums up your attitude, really, that you'll do your own thing and you're not worried. And you were never, you were never bothered or bitter by the attention Ricky got. You loved it and you went along with it. You had great fun with it, didn't you? That was always your attitude, wasn't it? You were your own man. You do it on your own terms. You're going to have great fun with it. I did. I mean, looking back now, I sort of like go way down to me, me, um, me, me day-to-day life and... Uh, like say people who don't necessarily uh, follow the boxing, they hear the name and they were like, oh, was you a boxer as well? And uh, when I used to go to United, because I, I saw you there a lot of times, didn't we, Dom? Uh, we, we, we was watching the game, you know, and, and, and chatting away. And like when I used to be uh, go and watch United, they had season tickets for several years. They'd be like, what are you doing here? Uh, but again, I mean, I, I become a United fan. My dad played for City. Uh, the whole family was big, big City fans. But again, it's that stubborn streak in me. <laughs> um, we we was brought up in public houses, and uh, one of the customers come in one day and give me a, a little United badge, no bigger than a five pence uh, piece. And uh, again, as a kid, you saw, right, I'm looking at this badge. Was miving my dad to take me to Old Trafford, and I was on at him, and I was. But again, I persisted, and fair play to him, he took me. And so, yeah, uh, a United fan, which again, which not so many people know. But yeah, it was difficult for me as a kid. You know, I was always playing catch up with Ricky. I was, you know, I'm younger than Ricky by three years. Followed him into the kickboxing. Followed him into the boxing. But Ricky, you know, had such an extensive. Um, amateur career before he turned professional and he did so well and, and I suppose that's what did inspire me um, to, to get into the boxing I'd be the first to admit it but again you know when people ask me these questions and um, you know they, they say it was the jealousy was that me and Ricky's always been so close uh, you know you have your fallouts like any brothers do but we've always been so close as a kid and I, I can genuinely say that you know I was just so proud of, of what Ricky achieved and it, and it was great to watch. There was never any jealousy. I always just wanted to achieve what I believed I, I could achieve and, and that was to become a world champion when I was European champion. I was absolutely flying and I think if I'd have got a chance against one of the other welterweight champions around that time when I fought Alvarez, maybe I could have been a world champion. But no, I'm proud of what I've achieved and I think as far as my abilities go, I... 
I'd probably overachieved if anything. Um, but like I say, going back, I've always been so so proud of, of, of um, what Ricky's achieved. There's never been any jealousy or anything like that, and I, I think it's just been fantastic what we've both done. We'll finish the show with the super middleweight world champion, Callum Smith. I caught up with him a little bit earlier on, and guess where we started the conversation? That's right, Canelo. Listen, it's been a mad year because I was just looking at the calendar and it fla- it flashed up on my uh, on reminders that this time last year we were in New York mm, yeah. for the Hassan and Dam fight, man. It seems yeah. such a long, long time ago. Yeah, it's been a mad, strange year, hasn't it? And off the back of that, that's when the Canelo conversation started. Mm, yeah. How, fr- how frustrating has that period been, man? Because it's been 12 months yeah. talking about one guy and that fight hasn't materialised yet. Yeah, it's been frustrating, but not even just the, the Canelo talk. It's just been not become world champion in the end of September 2018. And if you'd have told me I'd have been this far into being a world champion and still wouldn't have secured, a, not to suspect enough for, but a, a big a big fight, like a unification or a, yeah. a big name, so so to speak, then I'd have probably been a little bit disappointed. But it's not is what it is. I'm still world champion, so I'm still in the position to get them fights to just take a little bit longer than what, what, what I'd have liked. But I've had, I've been in this position before. I waited a long time to get my first world title shot, so I know just to stay patient, just to stay in the gym is the most important thing, and make sure I'm still improving. I don't become no stale or whatever, and that when we, we the big fights do come, I'm ready to take them. How frustrating did you find it when you you read stuff like from Oscar De La Hoya and he's saying that you're turning down fights and what have you? Yeah, listen, I, I kind of again I've been in in boxing a long time, obviously through my brothers and stuff as well, and. I kind of know that side of the game, and I think they just they made me an offer, knowing that I'd turn it down, and then rather than have a back and forth negotiating and agree a number, obviously I I've got a number I wanted, they have a number they wanted, you kind of meet in the middle, and there was none of that. They just went straight to social media, and the council mid turned down. I think it was like four times my highest payday or something, and that again that was a lie. Listen, it was a good payday, but it was just. I kind of knew then what they were getting at because Billy Joe Saunders turned the exact same offer down, <clears throat> but he didn't go to social media with him saying he turned it down and just kind of threw me under the bus a bit. Yeah, I was going to say, why but, do you think they were yeah, listen, that's part, with you? Part of the, that's part of the sport. I think it was more to, so when if they announced the fight with Billy Joe, you'll probably get certain people saying, well, why didn't you fight Smith? And they can say, well, we offered him and he didn't want it, Billy Joe did. So it, it's more covering their back kind of thing, but Again, it's part of the sport. It's, I think they they know they want to fight and they just play a few others off each other to probably try and get the price down. You're being very diplomatic, mate. Listen, the uh... yeah. <laughs> now the dust has settled on that last one against John Ryder. How do you look back at yeah. it, mate? It, it was what it was. It was a, it was a bad performance. It's not the first time we've underperformed. No, we're all we're all human, and I let it be a lot closer than than what it should have been. But now I, I watched it back and I had the same same opinion on it as I did on the night it was a bad performance but I won the fight and it is what it is I'm, like I said and I can't perform the best of my abilities all the time I believe if it did it'd, it'd be in a lot a lot more comfortable so I kind of it's my own fault that I took the criticism because it's, it's me who gets in there it's me who underperforms but when I see people saying no they had to look rad and nine three and stuff like that I just I watch it myself and I can't see how, how, how they get them type of scores but again I think a lot of it is due to no, the underdog doing better than what 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 he expected. It kind of sways people a bit more. But no, I'm not saying I wanted a landslide. It, it, it was closer. Did allow it to to be closer than what it should have been. But the right decision, in my opinion. Do you 
again, this is a personal question, but do you put any yeah. of it, the performance down to motivation? Because it must be quite difficult to have Canelo occupy your mind for quite a yeah, long period of time. It, it, no, I didn't, I didn't take him lightly. I didn't know, skip sessions saying, oh, I don't need to do this session, I'll win anyway. I trained you know, very well for it. Yeah. It was a good camp. Mentally, maybe, I don't know. But it was more, I think it's more just a fear. You know, in, in certain other camps, like you know, the Groves camp, I had a fear that if I don't perform, I'll lose. And I knew if the best version of me didn't turn up against Grove, there's a, a good chance he'd beat me. Whereas, oh, I didn't have that with John Ryder. And you know, I think I, I proved that I have underperformed and still beat him. So I think I always knew that. I didn't really, I didn't have that fear that he was good enough to beat me, which is, again important. is a criticism on me. That Actually, I've got to respect everyone. Yeah, massively. I've always said that about, and I think I am one of the fighters who kind of proved that my career showed that the the bigger the fight for me when I've got that fear factor I've always delivered I've always performed and I, I think I do need that fear of losing that's me always been my biggest drive and when I've had that you've seen my best performances and I, on and on that I probably didn't have that in my last fight which no, I probably should have because I, say, I, I let it go close and it was the closest fight I've had so far there you go action packed guest after guest after guest hopefully you enjoyed that there'll be more of those lined up for you live on the radio next weekend Saturday night 8 o'clock come and join us but if you can't come and join us live don't forget to subscribe to the podcast because it'll be available for you on iTunes and via the TalkSport website hit subscribe I'll see you soon Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.